Boom. Let there be light. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. So here's the journey. It's been a four-week journey. We started with dating and went dating to mating to fighting to thriving. We're at the final destination. They have finally reached home. Last week, we talked about uh, fighting. Uh, don't raise your hand. Anybody have a good fight last week? Anybody? A couple chuckles? Okay. I know. Nervous laughter. Fighting. Fighting's, uh, we said last week, fighting's a good thing. It's a healthy thing as long as you do it in the right ways. You do it in the right way. So uh, actually, I, I'll have a cough drop in my mouth this whole time, and I'll have some water up here because I got a cold. I think it was the llamas that did it to me last week and all that, um, and all that rain. And um, I don't know about you, but uh, when I get a cold, and I hear some men have this same condition. I, it's just the way God wired us. But when we get a cold, I mean, it can be very serious. You know? I mean, it's really it's tough. It's a little bit touch and go. <laughs> and women don't seem to be wired the same way. Whatever, God's blessed you that you don't actually get that sick. But when we get sick... You know, are, do any men, are, are any men like that? Are you experience that? Okay, thank you. Thank you. I'm not the only one. I knew I wasn't the only one. So I, after, I knew it. The moment I walked off of this stage after the 11 o'clock service last week, I said, oh my gosh, I can feel it. I'm getting a cold. And the next day, oh man, it, it hit me hard. And uh, I just said to Krista, so I wanted to remember, because I said last week, it's hard for us to remember the fights we get into. So I said, I'm going to remember one. So we had a little... You know, it wasn't bad. But uh, I just said, I'm going to need some time. I can feel it. I, this is kind of serious. And I just need to, you know, I just need to take it easy. She said, okay. And uh, so I went upstairs and closed the door because I like total hibernation. And I was, th- you know, I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. Just I got to get better because I don't like to speak when I'm sick because I cough and everything. It's really frustrating. And about 15 minutes into it comes a knock on the door. Opens the door. Okay, it's been 15 minutes. You all better now? Hi. Oh my gosh, are you serious? So I just want to say, I want to start with this. If your husband is sick, I'd like you to swipe right on being compassionate to him, right? And just caring for him and not saying, you know, cruel comments to him like, you're such a wimp and uh, all those things. Get out of the bed. Okay. So dating, mating, fighting, thriving. Here we go. I just want to read you these verses. Then we're going to go through it because we've, we've reached, we've reached the end. These are the key verses. I've read six and seven before of chapter eight. But I have not read you verse number five. And verse number five, everybody, sets up everything for the key verses of six and seven to make happen. Here's what it says. Who is this? Now, this is a chorus of people singing. All the friends. It's the chorus singing. A bunch of friends. They're saying, remember, this is a song. So the chorus sings, who is this? Coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. Then she speaks, the Shulamite. She says, place me like a seal over your heart. Like a seal on your arm. Hebrew poetry means your finger. Like a seal on your finger. Now, all of a sudden, her voice fades away and the author, the writer of the song, steps in and he begins to speak these words. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers can't sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly 
scorned. All right, so before we break these down, I had said last week that I was going to give you the top five ways to add passion. Now, again, this is statistically speaking. This is a study that NIH did. So this isn't me just like throwing ideas out uh, to you, but they totally jive what we find here in the song. What are the top five ways? What are the five practical things that you can do in your relationship to add passion? So if you want to fill them down, you can fill them in, you can, but they're on the screen. Here's number one. Do something new. One of the most common questions that people have about their relationship, where did all the passion go? Where did it go? Well, one of the things, practical things that you can do is just do something new. When you first met each other, everything was new because you just met each other. It means everything you did was new. But after a while, we stopped doing new things. Like you haven't done something new in 10 years. And when somebody suggests doing something new, you get a little grumpy about it. I, let me tell you my philosophy on vacations, right? We're getting, in, getting ready to get into vacation season. I, I like to figure out a great place to go and then just keep going to that same place. Do you, you know what I mean? Because we've got it all figured out. We know where to eat, where not to eat, what to do, what not to do. We know all this. We know how to save money. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Krista never likes to go to the same place twice. She always likes to do something new. And that's very challenging. But you know what? It's a good thing. Do some, figure out something new and please do it. Second thing. All right? Add a little mystery or surprise. They're constantly, there's, there's nothing but mystery in this song over and over and over again. They're surprising each other. Everything about the song actually is surprising. Number three, get your adrenaline flowing. What do you see them doing in the song? They're running, they're hiking, they're on horseback, right? They're playing hide and seek with each other at one point. So, so there's something to get your adrenaline. Do something. I mean, go at the very least go skydiving. I mean, please jump out of a plane, but get, get, get it racing. Number three, touch often. Touch often. These are tried and true ways to add passion. They're just, that's all they're doing is touching each other in this song, and they're doing it constantly. And the fifth and final thing is take a mini vacation. In chapter 8, we see that they go and they visit her family's home. But earlier, they went out for a picnic in the countryside, or they're walking through the orchards, but they're always doing something. Take a mini vacation. I read a book a, year, a couple years ago, and it said for a wife, when she walks into her home, her stress level goes up. When a husband walks into the home, his stress level goes down. And it's very important for husbands to remember that they should get their wives out of the home. If you want to de-stress your wife, you should get out of the house. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And so we've tried to do that. doesn't have to be expensive. can be very, very simple. We've tried to do that, and it really, really helps. Those are five tried and true ways to add passion. Now, here's, here's the thing, everybody. That's very practical. Those are simple. All of us can do those. All of us can do that. That's great information. Won't have one bit of positive effect on your relationship whatsoever. Oh, they're, they work. We know they work because they're tried and true. It's been analyzed. It's been studied. But that information is going to do one thing for you because there's a big gap I have found between information and motivation. I have 50 books on relationship. I've read them all in my library. So I, I have enough information to have 10 great marriages, right, at different times. But you know what I'm saying? I, I have all this information. But am I motivated? So last week, we talked about the number one, the number one predictor of a great relationship was healthy conflict resolution. And here's the thing. I want to ask you three questions from last week. They're very simple. Did you do these three things? Because it's the number one predictor. So if you want to have a great relationship, you want your relationship to be awesome, well, here's the very simple things that all of us can do. So the first one was say we. You're like, hey, John, come on. Say we. All I got to do is add we to the situation. That's all you have to do. How easy is that? Go from saying you to saying we, because now you're a team. Now you're on the same team. You're working together. That little 
change, that little addition, that little exchange between you to we makes all the difference in the world. You're on the same team. You're working together. It's a beautiful thing. You're you're in a win-win situation because you see each other as a team and you're working together. Benjamin Franklin said at the beginning of the Revolutionary War, he said, we will either hang together or we will all hang separately, right? You're either going to be unified, you're either going to be a team, or you're going to be at odds. You're either allies or you're adversaries. So this, that's the first one. Here's the second one. Create a positive, affirming environment. You have to do it. The number one enemy in your relationship is contempt, is having contempt for each other. And the antidote to contempt is creating a positive environment. Did you do that? It's very simple to do. And then finally, write two positives and one negative and just share that information in a constructive way with each other. You know, this past Friday, I said to Krista, I said, hey, we haven't done this yet and I can't stand up on the stage unless we've done it. We have all the information, but do we have the motivation? So you write down two positive things and one negative thing and you share. Those are very practical. But there's a big, big gap, everybody, between information, knowing what to do, we know what to do, and motivation. And that brings us to today's message. How is this relationship going to thrive? We're going to break down these verses and verse five sets it all up for us. This is how you're going to thrive. This is how you're going to find yourself at the destination that all of us really want to get to, right? That place of satisfaction and joy, the meaning in life that we're looking for. Verse five tells us, and here's what it says. The chorus sings and they say, who is this coming from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Who is this? coming up out of the wilderness. Now, you got to remember the audience that is reading this. They understand immediately. Words mean something to them. It means a lot to them. So when it says coming out of the wilderness, it reminds them totally of the struggle that Israel had in the wilderness when they left Egypt. And for 40-ish years, they had to fight through. They had to fight through the difficulties of life. So when the writer says coming up out of the wilderness, like, okay, I get it. How do they reach this final destination? They had a lot of grit. Their love was tough. I never realized about love when I was a kid growing up. And I remember watching on TV uh, during uh, Desert Storm as it started. General Schwarzkopf says to the soldiers, he says, today you soldiers will fight because of love. And as a, as a kid, I always thought well, love is kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like a girly thing, right? It's, it's soft, And I began to understand as I grew older that actually love has a lot of grit. It's a lot of strength. Love has to be tough. When the going gets tough, what do the tough do? The tough get going. And they have reached this place, the final destination. Sometimes we walk into a relationship or a marriage and we think, I should just, it should unfold with very little effort. Actually, love, true love takes a lot of effort. It takes grit and it takes passion that you're not going to back down. It takes a warrior. It takes somebody who is strong. So he says, I see them. They've come out of the wilderness. They come out of the struggles of life. They've come through the challenges and now they're leaning on each other. They're supporting each other. They have decided to be a team and to fight through the problems together. This is what they have done. And that's how they've reached this great destination called thriving. And you're never going to reach it any other way. If we think that we're going to reach this incredible destination of thriving without being fighting through the challenges of life, it's just never going to happen. And this is what the song is saying. This is what we learn from life. And they have fought through it. And now they're leaning on each other. They have mutually dependent upon each other. They're propping each other up. They're serving each other. They're helping each other. They're working as a team. 
You know, God says at the very beginning of the Bible, you know, first of all, you got, here you got Adam and he's all alone. God brings him all the animals, you know, and Adam's name. It is, it's, it's always interesting to me that God has him name the animals before Eve is around because it wasn't going to work any other way. I mean, he would have gotten to like animal number 10 and she's like, okay, that's enough. You know, let's move on. Because now we have to focus on our relationship. And so he names the animals and then he realizes there's nobody, there's nobody for me. And God says the first negative comment in the Bible, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good. It's not good. I will make him a helper. Helper. Now, some of us are offended by that word helper. But that's a great word. And there's not even a hint of inequality in the Hebrew word helper. Actually, God in the Bible numerous times is called our helper. So if you're a wife and you're like, I don't like that word helper. That's offensive to me. Well, if you, if you, if you are offended by being compared to God. So she's a helper. Look what Matthew Henry says. He wrote this many, many years ago. Eve was created from the rib of Adam to be beside him. Not from his head to rule over him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near to his heart to be loved by him. I think God knew what he was doing. I read an article in Time Magazine a number of years back, and here's what it said. It says that married men do far better in life, period, in some critical areas. I've noticed this about men. We're really into what we do for a living, our jobs, And how are we doing? Are we being promoted? How is our money going? Right? We're really into our health, physically, mentally, emotionally. We're we're into that. And we're into physical intimacy, sex. And here's what the article in Time Magazine says. Married men do far better, far better at work, at health, and at sex than single men do. So it just seems to me that God knew something about what he was doing. Now, The article goes on to say that women don't necessarily see the radical benefits that men do, but men have been helped tremendously. So thank you so much, wives in the room that have changed our lives and made them so much better. I've also noticed this, everybody. The marriage rates are dropping. There are more single people in America than there are married people. This hasn't been the case. This is, this is all just kind of changed. And as the marriage rate has gone down, the, lonely, the loneliness epidemic has risen. And is there a connection between the two? Because it's not good for him to be alone. Just throwing that out, something to think about. So he has grit. They have grit. The two of them have fought through the challenges of life together, and that's how they've reached the place. Now she speaks, and she says, place me like a seal over your heart. So what is she saying? I want to be in your heart. This is like a seal on your arm. I want to be, I want to be on your finger because that's the same thing it means here in Hebrew poetry. I want to be, I want to be in your heart. I want to be on your hand publicly and privately. What is she is saying here is something that we find very, very true. She, she's saying is that I need regular and consistent reassurance and affirmation of your love. And it's not a weakness. So some guys might say, well, my gosh, you know, why do you all, why do I always tell you I love you and do things and write cards and send and all the stuff that we do? Why do you, why do you need that all the time? It could have a lot to do with something that's extremely practical about the way God made us and about a way, a God, the way God made a woman. Anna Louise de Stahl, she's a French writer, said this, love is the whole history of a woman's life. It is only an episode in a man's. I'm going to say that again. Love is the whole history of a woman's life. It is only an episode in a man's. And the thought behind that is this, everybody. 
Men have the ability to compartmentalize. We do it very easily. It comes very naturally to us. All right? Our brain, right and left. The communication that happens between right and left, like the, the, the highway between it that actually exists in a woman's brain. Like in a woman's brain, there's a super highway. Information just flows very, very fast. In a man, that highway is a narrow country road. Information, information doesn't pass. And so we compartmentalize very, very easily. And so a woman, what, what Madame de Stahl is saying is that woman, it's her whole history because in her, in her mind, her relationships that are so important to her are constantly in her heart and on her hand all the time. But for men, because we compartmentalize, it's like we can easily forget. We go to work. It's like, oh, well, I'm focused on work. We, we were away for a few days and somebody kept Krista's dog. And I remember she looked at me after a couple of days and she said, have you thought a lot about the dog? And I said, I didn't know we had a dog. Here's my point. Here's my point is that we compartmentalize so easily. And for her, for her, she's, I'm always in Krista's thoughts. She tells me my sole purpose is, is your life because the communication, but for a guy, it's not. And so there has to be this regular reassurance it's what we do. If we want to love, if our love is tough, we'll say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to love you the way that you need to be loved. And it's very interesting, interesting to me that the fantastic five ways, statistically speaking, practical five ways that you love your wife are all things that do with the heart and the hand. Just what the song says right here. You write a note. Here's, here's what women ask for. The top five ways. You write a note. You send a text. I send Krista those little gifts all the time now because I said, how do I love you better? How do, I, how do we feel more connected? She says, well, send me a text. Or a, it doesn't have to be expensive. I don't need you to do something expensive. Just let me know that I'm in your heart. So I'll send her those little goofy gifts, right? I send her that one from Lady and the Tramp of the two with the, you know, so romantic with the spaghetti, right? So I, 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 I do that kind of stuff because that's what's needed. Heart and hand, heart and hand constantly. Heart and hand is so important. Now, if you don't believe that and you don't believe all the information, all the studies that we have that shows us that we need to do those things, that a woman says part of her fantastic five is to hold her hand in public or put your arm around her in public. You know, you're mine. I love you. You're in my heart. You're in my hand. If you don't, if that doesn't move you, then you have to at least listen to the great 21st century theologian and songwriter who said, you should have put a ring on it, right? (laughs) At least she knows what she's talking about. You should have put a ring on it. This is what is being said here in this song, and it's still true to this day, all of these years later, because they touch us so deeply. Okay, let's move on. Now, here's where the author of the song steps in. So her voice fades away in this song, and the author steps in, and the author says this, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grape. You know, that seems odd all of a sudden. All of a sudden, we have been introduced to a concept that has never come into play in this entire song, death, in jealousy. Why, why are we introducing something so morbid here at the, at the height, the culmination, at the thriving point of this song? Why are we introducing this morbid thought of death? You know why? Because love and death go together, hand in hand, like peanut butter and jelly. 
you know, death is something that's totally certain. Well, the love that's being talked about here is somebody, two people who said, you know, we're going to grit through it. We're going to, we're going to be strong. We're going to do what it takes. We're going to stand up against the challenges of life and we're going to make it through. We're not going to give up. This is what we're going to do. Love. When's the last time you went to a wedding where you did not hear till death do us part? Why are we so morbid all of a sudden in the middle of a wedding? Till death, because love and death go together. It's something that's totally certain. It goes all the way back to what touches our heart right here. It is as strong as death. And you think about the great stories. The great stories are great because love and death went together. Titanic. What if at the end of that whole thing, Jack said to Rose, get off of that door, deal with the cold water. I'm going to get up and he lives and she dies. You'd say it ruined the whole movie, right? What if Mel Gibson in Braveheart didn't put his life on the line for the love of his life? And he said, I'm not going to do that. Whatever. I don't care that she's dead. It would have ruined the whole movie because love and death go together. It's something that is so certain. And then it says jealousy. The jealousy is unyielding as the grave. When we talk about this word jealousy, this confuses us because we hear this and our, all of our thoughts about jealousy is something that's bad. But that's not what the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word for jealousy means a single-minded devotion. I will be true to you. I will be devoted to you. I have a single-minded devotion to you. Anytime I come across this word jealousy in the Hebrew scriptures, I always think of Oprah because I read a story about Oprah years ago. Oprah used to go to church all the time and she was in church one day and the preacher said, God is a jealous God. And she said, that's it. I'm out of here. I have no interest whatsoever in a God who is so petty that is jealous, but that's not what the word means. The word means to have a single minded devotion. Now, don't we all want that? Don't we want somebody who is so devoted who will be devoted to us no matter what. We had communion this morning. That's really what communion's all about. Even the cross will not cause me to turn my back on you. I will be devoted to you no matter what, even in the face of death. And that's the kind of love that we all hope for. And this is the kind of love that they had found themselves at. And that is why they are thriving, thriving. Olivia Newton-John sang years ago in Greece, I'm hopelessly devoted to you. Anybody see that movie? Hopelessly devoted to you? Yeah. A couple of you did. Thank you so much for raising your hand. You've made me feel a lot better. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Now, when the scripture talks about flame, it's it's always, it's always talking about God. So we've already talked about the Israelites in the wilderness. Well, before they got to the wilderness, you had Moses in the wilderness and you had this Bush that was on fire, yet it was not consumed. It was an eternal flame. What is being said here is that when two people love each other with this certain love that is unyielding, that will not give up, that has been through the struggles and the problems and all the frustrations at life, and yet they had the grit to make it through, and they said, we're not turning back, that their love actually reflects God, God Almighty. Isn't that an amazing thought? That we, in our marriages, when we grit through it, when we do the things that we don't want to do, when we say we're sorry and we don't want to say we're sorry, when we say we and we feel like saying you, but we do that, we reflect God. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it. Your relationship has enemies. Are you prepared for the enemies that you're going to face. Everything great in life takes time and effort, preparation. 
We prepare for the great and the most important things in life. Have you prepared your relationship through time and effort and struggle and sweat and tears to prepare it for the enemies that will come its way? Because there's going to be torrents of water that's going to try to put the flame of your love out. You better believe it. It's going to come. This couple here came through the wilderness. They fought through the challenges of life. And they said, you know what? We will overcome. Final verse. If one were to give all the wealth of the one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Love can't be bought, just like the Beatles said. Money can't buy love. There's no shortcuts to love. These, there's four things that are so clear in those verses about love. First of all, it's intimate. Heart, hand. It's intimate. It's intense. It's a flame. It's indestructible. Waters can't, all the enemies can't, can't put out the flame. And finally, it's invaluable. It's intimate, it's intense, it's indestructible, and it's invaluable. This is the place where they have finally arrived to. Now, I want to just say one thing as a quick timeout, because I know throughout this series, some people are probably wondering, well, what about divorce? And what does the Bible say about, about divorce? We're going to do a series, a two-week series in July, July 14th and 21st, and we are going to focus on that. I got together with a group of people, and I said, what's the number one topic you want to hear about? And they said, we want to know what Jesus has to say about difficult topics. Okay, what's the, what's the most difficult one? Divorce. It was the number one requested series. So this summer, if you're interested in divorce, we'd like to talk about that. <laughs> Let me conclude with this final thought. I want to remind you again, his name is Solomon, her name is Shulamite, and it comes from the root word shalom, satisfaction, fulfillment, what you're really longing for. Does she have that feeling sometimes? Like, what is it that I'm longing for? I'm searching for something. This is what you're searching for. You're searching for a love that is true. You might not ever find that from somebody else in this life, but there is somebody who loves you with a love that is totally true, and that is Jesus Christ. He faced down the horrors of the cross because of his love for you, and he said, I am totally devoted to you, and I will never, ever turn my back on you, no matter what. This life is tough. This life is difficult at its best, but there is somebody who loves you with a genuine love, who will never do anything to turn his back on you no matter what because his love is certain and true. His devotion is single-minded towards you. Our love has to be tough. It has to be strong. It has to be gritty, just like Christ's love and just like this couple. They had learned through the years. They've come towards the end of this song. They've been together for a number of years. They fought through the challenges of life. At times when, as I said a few moments ago, when they knew they needed to say we and they felt like saying you, they found the strength because love is strong. And they said we. When they, when they needed to create a positive environment in their relationship and they didn't feel like creating a positive environment, they didn't feel like saying something affirming to the other person, they said, you know what? I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be strong. I'm not going to be weak. And I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to create a positive environment. I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm going to grit my teeth and get through this. And I'm going to do the very things that we know, we know the information, we're going to act upon it, that we know needs to happen for my love to thrive. Because you're tough. Because you're gritty. 
I spent a lot of time in locker rooms all my life because I've played a lot of sports and I went to an all-boy high school. So I've heard lots of conversations. And when I was a teenage boy, we talked a lot about getting to first base with a girl. I don't know if that still goes on today. I don't know if guys still talk about that. But some of you know what I'm talking about. And we talk about first base and second base. And then there was this saying, right? Have you gone all the way? Anybody remember that? Have you gone all the way? Have you gone all the way with somebody? I was reading one of my commentaries. And um, the writer of this commentary is a brilliant commentary on this great song. He's recalling an incident when he was at a camp, a youth camp, with a bunch of other teenage boys. And somehow the topic, the counselor brought up the topic of sex. And one of the teenagers in, in the cabin with all the other teenage boys said to the counselor, well, I've already gone all the way. And the counselor said, what do you, what do you mean you've gone all the way? He says, you know what I mean. I've gone all the way. My girlfriend and I, we already, we've been all the way. So, you know, he says, no, I, don't, I have no clue. What are you talking about? What do you mean you've been all the way? We, we've had sex. We've been all the way. And the counselor says, oh, that's what you think going all the way is. I want to tell you what going all the way is. There's a gentleman in my neighborhood. Him and his wife, they have five kids. And after they had their fifth kid, the wife became seriously ill, and she is now in a wheelchair. And this husband gets up every morning, and he prepares the kids for school. He gets them all off to school. He goes to his office. He sells insurance all day. Then he comes home and helps the kids with their homework. He helps with dinner. He puts them all to bed, and he looks at his wife, and he kisses her, And he says, as he's looking into her eyes, you are so beautiful to me. And the counselor says, now that guy has gone all the way. That's what this song is about. And that's the only thing that is actually going to bring you satisfaction in life because it's the way God created us. We are looking for a love that is certain, that is strong, that is gritty, that is fought through. It's the love that Christ has for you. It's the love that we need to have for each other. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you for enlightening us to the very thing that's going to bring us true satisfaction and joy. May our love be full of grit. In Christ's name, amen.